The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This week's episode of Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is brought to you by the Celebrant Foundation and Institute's new book, Life Cycle Ceremonies, a handbook for your whole life, which is now available on Amazon and Kindle. Make ceremonies matter more and become a certified Life Cycle Celebrant at CelebrantInstitute.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami and this is Essential Conversations. I want to welcome today's guest, David Rome. David is a teacher, coach, author, specializing in contemplative methods for personal, organizational, and social change. He is a student of the Tibetan Buddhist Trungpa Rinpoche and of Eugene Zhenlin, who is the creator of Focusing. David's newest book is Your Body Knows the Answer, Using Your Felt Sense to Solve Problems, Affect Change, and Liberate Creativity. David Rome, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you so much. It's a, a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm really looking forward to this because I have problems, I need change, and my creativity needs liberating. So I'm hoping you can fix all that for me. <laughs> but before we get into that, I want to ask you an inside baseball question in the sense that uh, we're both Jewish. We mm-hmm. both found some deep wisdom in other traditions, in your case, Tibetan Buddhism, in mine, Zen Buddhism, Vedanta. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you can give us some insight into your spiritual upbringing. You know, what kind of Judaism were you brought up in? How did you move from that into Buddhism from there? Uh, how did you pick up the work of focusing with Eugene Gendlin? Sure, yeah. I had a pretty um, thorough Jewish upbringing. Uh, My family belonged to a conservative synagogue, but we went to um, Shabbat services frequently, not always, but we always did Friday night at home. And I went to Hebrew school, I went to Hebrew high school, I even did uh, for one year or so, uh, went to classes at the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York City. So that was very much part of my growing up and my identity. Once I went off to college, I didn't continue to be actively connected. And uh, after college, I did two years in the Peace Corps in East Africa. And then uh, after I came home, an old friend of mine said, hey, let's go bum around Europe this summer. And so we did. And he had heard about Samya Ling, a Tibetan monastery in Scotland that was founded by uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, my teacher. So that was kind of just by accident, because I didn't have any particular interest myself at that point in Buddhism or meditation. But uh, I went there, I experienced meditation, and uh, I knew at some deep level that this was right for me. It's not just that you were brought up Jewish, though. I mean, you were really an heir to 
Schocken Books, you know, one of the most important Jewish publishing houses in the world. I think it's part of Random House now. Was something missing in Judaism that you found Buddhism spoke to? Well, I, I suppose in retrospect you could say that, but it wasn't a feeling that something was missing that brought me to Buddhism. I was just young and exploring. You know, I actually worked at Schocken Books uh, a number of different times and was briefly the president there before the family decided to sell it to Random House. So, you know, for me, there was never a, a sense of conflict. The fact that I had gone to services a lot growing up and, and had a, a pretty good Jewish religious education was a, a very good foundation for then exploring uh, Buddhism. And then it was through Buddhism that you came to the focusing? No. I got into Buddhism when I was 25, and many years later, after doing many different things and moving around a lot, I, again, by accident, I came upon Eugene Gentlin's book, Focusing, and something drew me to the book. It's just a tiny little paperback book that I found in a used bookstore, and I started reading in it, and trying to do the exercises that are described with only modest success. But then um, I discovered that there were weekend training programs and started going to those and got more and more into it. And I had the uh, good fortune to be able to study with some of the major teachers of focusing and, and then with Eugene Gendlin himself. So give our listeners a sense of what focusing is before we go into your own take called mindful focusing. What, what was the focusing that you studied? How does that work? Focusing is about getting in touch with what Gentlin called the felt sense, which is the bodily level experiencing that is below words or below concepts, but it's always there, but we tend not to notice it. It's kind of off our radar, but we can get in touch with it, and it turns out that the body knows a great deal more than the mind does because the body holds all of our experience, our life experience, and in a sense, even the experience of the human species. So when we can get in touch with the felt sense through this process called focusing, then uh, we can really get fresh insights, uh, fresh energy, fresh action steps, discover new options. So it, it's a very powerful self-knowledge method, but also applies directly to the challenges that we're facing in our lives. And the reason it's called focusing, that's a very confusing name, which Gendlin himself acknowledges. It probably ought to be called unfocusing, because that's how you have to begin, is by letting go of conceptual mind of thinking and kind of dropping the awareness down into the body, into the torso especially, and then sensing there in a very gentle, friendly way for sensations that start out unfocused. They're vague, they're unclear, they're murky. We don't know what they're about, and that's why we generally don't notice them at all. But once we pay attention in this particular friendly way inside, then we start to notice these things, and they may have a shape or a texture, and um, we invite them to become more present or to come into focus. And so that's the meaning of the name focusing. It has nothing to do with the normal idea of, okay, focus, pay attention. So in a sense, the body is the guru. Yes, I guess. I've never made that connection, but yes, you could say that. 
And then I know you've said in many interviews that the body knows a great deal more than the mind. Give us a sense of the kind of knowing the body has. Well, let me start with a simple example. If I ask you right now, hey, how are you feeling? How might you respond? Oh, I'd say I'm fine. You know, something generic. <laughs> exactly. And now if I said, but wait, how are you really feeling? And when you hear that question, you have to pause. You have to stop. Well, how am I really feeling? And you have to refer to some level of your current moment experience. And that referring is not to any kind of script or anything that's already formulated in words. It's a checking in with how you feel inside. So you're not asking me, how am I doing emotionally? In, in focusing, my sense is that I'm trying to get like there's a tightness in my stomach or there's a burning in my feet or, you know, whatever it happens to be. I mean, we're going to a much more foundational level, fundamental level than, oh, I'm feeling happy, sad, all based on whatever my story is. Am I right about that? Yes, in the sense that you're definitely sensing for something that is physically felt. On the other hand, it's not purely physical, like uh, you stubbed your toe and it hurts. It always also has what Jandlin calls an aboutness. So it relates with what's going on in your life. It's different from emotion, but it is a kind of feeling. So in a way, it's in between what we usually think of as physical sensation and emotion. Is it difficult to learn? It's not difficult, although some people are kind of natural focusers, and for others it can take some time and guidance to find this elusive thing that we're calling the felt sense. And then it takes practice, and it's really a process of, of finding it and making friends with yourself. It's creating uh, Ann Weiser Cornell, who's one of the major focusing teachers these days, talks about making the inner relationship so that you're willing and able to be with parts of yourself that are usually in hiding or that may be uncomfortable. And by allowing them to show up, to come into focus, then you can actually enter into a kind of dialogue with them. It's a little bit like the idea of the inner child. And you can ask questions and sometimes you get responses from the felt sense not from your own mind, that are, are very fresh, original things that you didn't know before. And these are the things you're going to use or rely on when you're making changes, whether it's social, organizational, or personal. Yes, exactly. So in order to do focusing, you have to be working with a real situation in your life, and whether it's a problem or a decision or even a creative challenge, and you have to be able to Rather than thinking about it or ruminating about it, you have to be able to sense how it feels in the body just now, just now in the present moment. So in your work, which you call mindful focusing, you've brought a new element to the focusing practice as you learned it. And that's from your Buddhist experience. So tell us what's the difference and how you've adapted this. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive.
Well, two things. One is that Jandlin has been very insistent that there not be any standardization of the focusing method. So he encourages all teachers to find their own way of presenting it. And so for me, it was in the context of being a meditator, a Buddhist, for many, many years. And so I place more emphasis on the mindfulness awareness aspect, although mindfulness is really already there in focusing I start the process by putting it in a larger context of being very grounded, of awareness, and of presence, experiencing one's own basic presence here and now. And I think that although anyone using focusing can get to a more spiritual place with it. People don't necessarily, it comes out of, uh, originally out of psychotherapy, but I have more of an emphasis on that larger dimension of being. When you use this or teach someone to use this to make change in their life, does the body know what changes are necessary or do you suggest changes and the body goes, oh, that's a good one or that's a bad one? Well, occasionally you can do it the latter way, but basically, yes, the body knows the direction because the body doesn't know it as if it's already written down somewhere. You just have to open the the right door and you'll find it. But the body is our ongoing organic process of living. And just as your body knows when you're getting hungry, and therefore it's directing you toward food, uh, it has a similar kind of knowledge about um, all our situations and especially those that we face in our complicated uh, modern lives. So would you say, metaphorically, the body has a mind of its own? Yes. And that's really what we're focusing in on. We're tapping into that. Yes. It, I mean, if we think of the mind as the conceptual mind, then the body has a mind of its own. Uh, of course, ultimately, they, they are integrated, and that's the point. You know, I read in an interview in Parabola magazine I mean, you said that deep listening is a way of reconnecting with your inner life. And that's, I guess that's what we're talking about. And that doing that is somehow going to make us more loving and available to others. So Buddhism itself seems to suggest that at bottom, people are decent, people are good, people are compassionate, people are loving, as opposed to another tradition that might say, well, at bottom, people are sinners. Or, you know, in Judaism, we would say that people are born neutral with a capacity to do good, a capacity to do evil, and you have to make these choices throughout your life. Buddhism trusts the individual more than than many other traditions do. Do you find yourself doing that as well, that you trust that by reconnecting with the inner life, the inner life in itself is intrinsically loving, and that's why we become more loving? Yes, but to make that connection, we also have to consciously assume a a loving attitude toward ourselves. That's why I say it's really about making friends with yourself. Um, But um, there's a lot of difficult places in us and and places we may fear. Um, But fundamentally, there is a basic goodness. And part of the um, practice is being able to listen to the parts of ourselves that may be very self-judgmental or or feel that we're a bad person and that kind of thing. And um, there's always, that's called the inner critic. And if we can kind of make friends with it and, and really have a conversation with it, there's always some 
reason behind the negativity um, that that's there. It's it's always in some way trying to protect us. Um, so, but from a um, ideological point of view, it doesn't really have much ideology. But but definitely, there's no um, fundamental badness. Um, um, that is posited as part of focusing or as part of Gentlin's philosophy, which is called philosophy of the implicit. So, I mean, that opens up a whole big area for discussion, which we don't have time to go into, but I can't just let it pass without at least inviting a comment. So where do you think, and obviously in two seconds or less, where do you think evil comes from? Is it from not listening um, yeah, that's a big question. Yes, I know. <laughs> um, it, um, I'm, I would say from the point of view of focusing or, or the philosophy of the implicit, which really is a philosophy of life process, evil comes from natural processes or urges or tendencies that somehow have been blocked or stopped. Jandon calls this a stopped process. Um, so, for example, if you're hungry, but you, there's no food there, um, then you begin to get desperate and you might begin to get violent or whatever. That's a very simple example, but I think that would be the basic um, understanding of evil. So before we run out of time, and I, and I do want to ask you a couple more things, but I want to leave our listeners with some direction. Can you suggest in addition to your book, Your Body Knows the Answer, Using Your Felt Sense to Solve Problems, Affect Change, and Liberate Creativity, and Shenlin's book on focusing. Is there something else you'd recommend that people take a look at, or your website? Yes, my website is mindfulfocusing.com. Then there's the website of the Focusing Institute, which has a vast amount of information, including uh, what's called the Shenlin Online Library. So uh, most of his writings are available um, for free to the public, uh, and that's simplyfocusing.org. And then um, Anne Weiser-Cornell, whom I mentioned earlier, has a website called focusingresources.com, which also is, is very good and has a great deal of information. And she offers many different ways to begin learning at a distance or so forth, the actual practice of focusing. So this has really become your life path, fair enough to say? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And if you don't mind my asking, how old are you? I will be 69. All right, so you've been doing this for 40 years, you know, with the Buddhism and then with focusing. Yes. Yeah. So this is a life path. This is a life way that our listeners might want to you know, explore. This isn't simply something, another add-on. This really is, as I'm understanding it from you, a foundational way of being in the world. Uh, very much so, but uh, I've also had a career in uh, organizations, mostly nonprofits, and so it it's something that really empowers other aspects of one's life, uh, whatever they may be, whatever your work or relationships, uh, or sometimes it's health issues. You can really um, find your way from a deeper kind of knowing in all of those situations if you have this access to the felt sense. 
I think finding that deeper kind of knowing is something that everyone is looking for. just want to thank you, David, for being on the show today. Our guest was David Rome. You can learn more about him and his work at mindfulfocusing.com. David, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. This week's show was sponsored by the Celebrant Foundation and Institute. Learn how to create meaningful rituals for people of any faith and none and become a certified life cycle celebrant at celebrantinstitute.org. And check out the foundation's new book, Life Cycle Ceremonies, a handbook for your whole life. It's available on Amazon and Kindle. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit our website, spiritualityhealth.com, to subscribe to the magazine and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston, and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.